Hi everyone, welcome to another episode of the Genesis Podcast. I am Dorcas, your host for today, and I'm actually co-hosting with Lois. <laughs> yes. So today we are welcoming our guest, Elim Ren. Hi everyone. So yeah, Elim, go ahead and introduce yourself. What's your role in Genesis? Okay, hello everyone. Uh, so my name is Elim. Uh, I'm one of the adult leaders in Genesis. Uh, currently this year, I have been leading the grade 7 cell along with John. That's pretty much what I've been doing in Genesis. I probably have seen some of you guys either before in person or uh, maybe in some of the large groups uh, that we've been having. Um, and yeah, and today I'm very happy to be here with Lois and Dorcas and we're recording in person in Lois's kitchen mm -hmm. uh, because of some technical difficulties we had before trying to record remotely. Mm -hmm. But yeah, seeing as um, basically COVID is very much dying down and everything is generally safe, yeah, we're glad to say that this is our first in-person podcast episode recording. Yay! Yay. <laughs> So, how do we all know each other? How do we? Well, <laughs> uh, so uh, Lois and Dorcas are very near and dear to my heart. They are, they are the part of the last grade that was in Genesis the same time that I was a student in Genesis. So when they were when they came into Genesis as little grade sevens, I was in grade twelve. Um, and now they're in grade 12 too, so that's kind of crazy to me. Um, but yeah, so I've, I've known Lois and Dorcas for about six years now, I think. Um, and it's been a really big blessing to see them grow in Genesis. And now that they're all about to go off to university soon. Um, so yeah, it's, 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 it's been a fun, fun few years. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we've been stuck with Elam all throughout Genesis. Uh, we've never gotten away from her because when she left, she soon came back as an adult. Well, you're coming to BC with me, so you're still not getting away from me. I'm stuck with you. But yeah, I think um, I remember because we all grew up um, at church mm -hmm. together um, in mm -hmm. Grace Gospel Chinese Church. Uh, well, it's not Chinese anymore, but <laughs> I remember, yeah, like. Even though we first, I think, all met in Genesis, and I knew Dorcas. How long do we know? Just we're like, just always together. Yeah, yeah. Children's ministry. Yeah, being in the same grade. I remember the first time. I think I, I, I my first memory of like seeing Elam in the church halls, was that like you were just walking around and you were holding a book, and I always wanted to see what book you were holding because you always <laughs> had a book. I like it was just I was just so curious about it. But yeah, do you remember? Dorcas, when you first saw Elam? When I first saw Elam, I'm pretty sure she was holding a book too. <laughs> <laughs> oh, thank you for that glowing description of my character. You just have a book. Actually, I think my first impression of Dorcas, I also remember Dorcas <laughs> holding a book. And I did ask... It was mutual. Yeah, mm -hmm. I, I asked Dorcas what book she was reading. Oh. <laughs> was that our first conversation? I think so, from what I remember. I heard about Lois mm -hmm. before I met her. Wow. So <laughs> from her many family members. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, moving on, since you mentioned a bit about 
BC, um, Elam. What's been going on in your life in terms of schooling or jo- jobbing? <laughs> jobbing, <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I'm actually in my seventh month of my master's degree. Um, so for those of you who might not know, um, I've since this year I have been studying at the University of British Columbia, UBC. Uh, for my master's in library studies. Uh, For those of you who didn't know that was a degree, that's a degree. Um, And uh, so I've been doing it from Toronto, which is kind of sad because Vancouver is so nice. Uh, But I've been doing it from from Toronto because of COVID and everything's online. Uh, But uh, I am doing co-op in the fall at the University of Victoria. So I'm going to be moving to the West Coast around the same time as Lois in August for that. Very exciting. Yeah, so we mentioned that Elam, we never escaped Elam. (laughs) So how did you come to serve in Genesis? Because I know you only took like a year break. Mm -hmm. That's right. Um, As I also mentioned earlier, I was also in Genesis as a student um, when I was in high school. And so I did serve on student leadership from grades 10 to 12. Also, side note, if any of you who are listening to this would like to apply for student leadership, currently we are accepting applications. So if you guys have any interest in that, we encourage you guys to either speak to an adult leader or your cell leader or any of the current student leaders. Um, Both Lois and Dorcas have done student leadership before. Um, Mm -hmm. It's very fun. Yes. (laughs) Side tangent. We we highly encourage it. but yeah, I did student leadership when I was in Genesis. It was a lot of fun. Um, I grew a lot from that. Um, and so I, you know, I got kicked out after I graduated in grade 12 because I wasn't a student in Genesis anymore. But I came back a year after because um, I really missed it. Um, yeah, I think it's just a great community. I've really been able to see God work um, in a lot of people's lives through Genesis. Um, key example would be uh, Lois and Dorcas who have really grown so much in all these years and they have, they're both um, becoming leaders and um, really faithful followers of Christ. So yeah, so now um, I think this is currently my fourth year on adult leadership in Genesis. So did you enter Genesis at age we know that not the age the grade of seven <laughs> uh no i didn't actually for those of you who uh are maybe a bit younger oh actually no because both lois and dorcas entered genesis mm-hmm. in grade seven um mm-hmm. they were the second they are that they were only the second year to come into genesis in grade seven because use because genesis used to be a high school fellowship we uh did grades nine to twelve and we used to have a separate junior high fellowship but now Genesis is from the grades uh, seven to twelve, so I'm 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 old. So mm. I I was I only came into Genesis in grade nine. Mm. So it's been eight years total. Right? Yeah, eight years. It's been that's, a while. That's a whole child. <laughs> <laughs> a whole child. That's one way to put it. So we talked a lot about reading, but I know Elam has many other hobbies and interests, as we know, because Lois and I have also received many gifts 
So how have you been entertaining yourself or coping during quarantine? Uh, yeah, so I do have a lot of hobbies that are very fun. Um, I do pick up a lot of hobbies because I do like making things for other people. So um, one, one very common quarantine hobby I feel, uh, I've been doing a lot of baking. So I feel like baking is fun. I like making cookies and things for other people. Um, another thing that I like doing is I like uh, sewing stuffed animals. So I feel like that's always fun as well. I do a lot of um, sort of textile crafts, like sewing and embroidery. And yeah, so those are always fun. I think like they're, it's always nice to sort of make something tangible. So I would suggest them as very fun hobbies if anyone wants to pick them up. Very fun grandma hobbies. <laughs> yes, grandma hobbies. So with all of those hobbies, how do you stay committed to continue doing them, if at all? Hmm. I do feel like I jump around a lot. Um, for what I'm doing at any given point. Um, so yeah, I do tend to do a lot of different things at the same time. I think uh, one thing that's that's easy for me to, or not easy for me to do, um, but one thing that I tend to do is that when I'm watching a show, I have to be doing something with my hands or else I won't be able to pay attention to what I'm watching. Uh, so I watch a lot of K-dramas and anime. And so while I watch those, uh, I think, I usually try to sew something or be doing a bit of embroidery um, and that helps me to pay attention to what I'm what I'm looking at. Multitasking. Very productive. That is a skill. Whenever I watch K-dramas, I can't because you need to read the subtitles and my eyes are like glued to the screen, but I do get fidgety. Mm. Okay, so we did talk a lot about reading. Yeah, so... I think obviously, as <laughs> mentioned, reading is probably another very big hobby of yours. So yeah, have you been doing any reading during quarantine? Uh, yes, I have. I think um, so. I'm since I'm studying library, library studies. Uh, there is a lot of reading within my own program. I'm actually taking a course right now that's called. Um, adult popular media and reading interests. So I do have to do a lot of reading for that course that's not necessarily academic. Um, so that's always fun. Uh, I think, yeah, uh, I do usually have um, some sort of ebook checked out at any, any one point. Okay, so it seems like you've read many books over the years. Which one, can you think of one that has the weirdest plot? Uh, so one of the things that came to mind, uh, when I think of weird plots is that when I was a, when I was a kid, um, there's one point when we were flying back to China to visit family. And so my mom took, uh, me and my two brothers, I have two brothers, uh, to chapters and she told us that we could pick up books that we could read on the plane. And so as a kid, I really, I, I mean, I still like fairy tales, but as a kid, I was obsessed with fairy tales. Um, so I went and I picked out this, this, this brick of a book um, of Grimm's fairy tales. And you know, like it's a book of fairy tales, so it looks very innocent. Uh, but I don't know if you guys have read Grimm's fairy tales. A lot of them are not very innocent. They're <laughs> really crazy and kind of gory sometimes. Um, so there were a lot of stories in there that were just kind of insane. With their plots. Mm -hmm. 
Which one was, in your opinion, most insane? Uh, so you guys can probably look this one up. I'm pretty sure you can you can read most most I, most or all of Grimm's fairy tales for free because it's out of copyright. Um, but there's, there's this one that I remember. It's called the Juniper Tree, uh, and basically the the setup seems pretty normal. There's like uh, there's like two kids and there's like a stepmother um, and a stepdaughter. And so the stepdaughter hates her hates the son because she wants her daughter to get the inheritance. So she manipulates her. Because I don't know if this is okay to say on the podcast. She manipulates her daughter into beheading her brother. Whoa, okay. Uh, and then he gets reincarnated as a bird later on and takes his revenge. So that's the plot in the nutshell. Revenge, wow. As a bird. Yeah, he gets reincarnated <laughs> as a bird. Okay, yeah, that does not sound child-friendly <laughs> at all. Definitely weird. On the other side of things, do you have any books that like have made you cry? Or do you like typically cry at all when you read an emotional story? Uh, I think I do. I'm sure I have. I don't know if I specifically remember all the books that have made me cry before. Um, one that I remember made me cry was The Book Thief by Marcus Uzak, uh, which is it's a fiction. It's a fiction novel. Um, it's set during World War II. Um, and it's I don't I don't think it's like an overtly sad book, but I think there are definitely parts in it that are very sad. And I think I think it's very well done because I because usually like I think when a book is trying to make you cry, it's just kind of cringy. <laughs> uh, but I think this book is good because uh, it's it's more about that the characters and their relationships are really well drawn out. And I think that's what made it made the sad scenes more effective. Yeah. Joseph, did you read it? No, I haven't, but I heard it's a classic. Yeah, I don't remember exactly when I read it, but it was it was really good. I also really liked the movie, so... Oh, I haven't seen yeah. the movie. Pretty good. But yeah, I really liked the... I liked the concept of, like, just the writing style, that it was narrated by death. Mm. You know? So yeah, I think that made the book a lot more interesting. And it was, yeah, also just beautifully written. But for sure, yeah, if you guys are interested in that you know, book, go check it out or just watch the movie and cry like Elam did. (laughs) (laughs) Crying can be therapeutic. Very true. Yeah. I think now that it's summer, more people are probably considering reading, at least getting back into it. Are there any books that you would recommend, Elam? The Bible. (laughs) (laughs) Me too. Uh, something fun that I've read recently. Well, I think an author that I always like recommending is Diana Wynne-Jones. Um, so she's a British uh, children's fantasy author, but I, I personally really think that her books can be read by anyone. Um, so her most popular book, you guys will probably recognize the title even if you didn't know it was a book, is Howl's Moving Castle. So most people know it as the very famous Ghibli movie. Um, but Hayao Miyazaki actually based it off of Diana Wynne-Jones' book of the same name. Um, so that's one of my favorite books. Um, I love it just as much as the movie. Um, I think they tell very different stories. So if you've seen the movie, it's, it's really nothing like the book. But I think that they're both very excellent in their own right. Haven't read it, and Elam has mentioned it to me before, because I do like the movie. But yeah, since you're speaking of one of your favorite books... 
What makes a good book, in your opinion? Mm, I think it's a hard question. I think that a good book is largely a matter of personal preference. Um, but I think one of the most important things for me when I'm reading a, a novel um, is about the characters and how real the characters feel to me. Um, so I think what the way that I get bored the fastest if I'm reading a, a, a book that I that is quote unquote bad is if I really do not care about the characters and what happens to them. Mm -hmm. You gotta be invested. So since you said it was just like, like a good book usually, you know, depends on personal preference. Do you think a book can be like objectively good or objectively bad? Oh, I think it, I think it's possible uh, depending on what criteria you're looking at. So I think it's definitely possible for a book to be objectively bad. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know about like objectively all across the board good, but I do think it's possible for a book to be objectively terrible. Um, because I have read books that I think most people should agree <laughs> that they're bad. Do you want to name names? Uh, maybe I won't do that. <laughs> but I think that there are definitely books where there are very questionable themes. And um, I'm not sure if the author really should have passed grade five grammar class. Um, mm -hmm. uh, so, yeah, I do think it's possible for a book to be bad. Mm -hmm. So the next topic, I believe Lois and I would be pretty interested in this as we are both going on to university. You did mention that you're studying your master's right now, but what did you do in your undergraduate? Uh, so I went to the University of Toronto for my undergraduate degree and I, and I did a double major in English Literature and Book and Media Studies. Uh, so that was a really fun degree. Um, obviously, since I'm studying library and information studies now, I love books and I love reading and there was definitely a lot of books and reading in those two majors. Which one were the most interesting courses you took? For both, both like subjects? Mm. Uh, so for English, I think one really interesting course that I took is that we had a required course called Digital Literature. Uh, so that was a really fun course actually because it, it, it was very unlike the rest of my courses, which were very like, the reading list was like, you have to read like these um, six novels and these four plays and what, and all these, uh, literary articles, um, but for that class it was actually very fun. Um, we studied a lot of um, very different things. We uh, talked about like hyperlinked texts um, and we kind of talked, uh, we, we actually did some studies with, uh, so there, there's a concept called close reading in English literature, which really is just, you've probably done it in your English classes before, it's just traditional literary analysis, basically, but there's a concept in digital literature, digital humanities called bar reading or whatever the antonym of close reading is, it's that. Uh, but basically, like you can you you use computers to analyze texts. And one thing that was really interesting is that um, a lot of classic novels, well, not a lot of them, but there are classic novels where they're not actually sure who they're written by. So, for example, um, Shakespeare. Shakespeare is a very popular one. Um, there's always this ongoing debate. Did Shakespeare really write his plays? Uh, did, Hen did 
not Henry Bacon, Francis Bacon, did Bacon write some of Shakespeare's plays? Were Shakespeare's plays written by a woman? Um, so actually by doing these computer analyses, you can sort of tell things about writing style that you can't just by reading it. Um, and so they could conclude that, you know, Shakespeare's plays were written by Shakespeare. Mm -hmm. That just sounds so fun. I have never heard of that before. So yeah, it's interesting how technology can do that these days. Considering how much reading you had to do, I have a feeling you also had to write a lot of essays. So I'm sure all of us will have to do that in the future, near or far. Do you have any tips for us in writing essays and papers? Well, I really do believe that the best way to, I mean, I think it's advice that everyone hears, but the best way to get better at writing is just to write. So to get started as early as possible. Um, I do think that for editing, there are a lot of uh, things that you can do to make it better. So one thing that I always think is good is to read it out loud, or you can have your computer read it back out to you. Um, as well, but it really does um, help you figure out how the flow of your piece is going. Um, you'll catch a lot of grammar errors that you wouldn't just by reading it in your head. Um, and I think uh, one, one, one thing that I think is really good for having better structure in your essays is by doing a reverse outline. Uh, so how that works is, uh, you know, people will usually have like their, when they're drafting, they'll make an outline and then they'll write the essay based off of that. Um, a reverse outline is after you're done your first draft, you go back and you write out a topic sentence for each paragraph. And so that sentence goes first and then you rewrite your essay based on that. I don't know if that makes sense. I think that makes sense. Okay, so that's that's a really, <laughs> that's a really good way to sort of make your essay flow a lot better um, and make it a lot more clear. Okay, I'll be definitely using those tips um, when I have like English courses um, in uni because I think it's a requirement for most like university programs, right? Uh, you might have a breath requirement. Mm -hmm. So it's good to keep it in mind. <laughs> yeah, and I think it definitely helps for people still in high school, right? Mm -hmm. Right now too, or yeah. was it middle school? Yeah, from here on, guys. You never escape. Yeah, just <laughs> essays and essays. <laughs> All right, so now that we've talked about your undergrad degree, yeah, we want to hear a bit more about your master's degree. So, yeah, just tell us about the degree you're pursuing now. Um, more about, yeah, librarian in information studies at UBC. Uh, so I think it's a very fun degree. I might be very biased, uh, but... Uh, it's a very customizable degree, I feel like. Um, so depending on what you're interested in, like I, a lot of my classmates are interested in a very wide variety of different subjects and they're looking at a lot of different fields. And I do feel like it is a very adaptable field because pretty much no matter where you end up, you're gonna have to end up dealing with information in their different forms and having to sort of organize those things and manage those things. and communicate uh, those resources to other people. So what I'm really interested in right now is I really love um, archives and I really like old books. Uh, so there is, there, are, there is a sort of particular niche field of special libraries um, where, you know, special collections are collections of either 
special specialty materials basically so it can so I really like old and rare books uh, when I was in my undergrad I took uh, a few courses where um, U of T has a lot of these libraries with very old and unique books um, so that's something that I think is really fun just interacting with you know 500 year old books and writing things about them and yeah Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. Are there any like really old books that you can name that you were really interested in during that course or just, you know, in general? Like, uh, so one thing that I did in my undergrad is that I took a study in, in Renaissance studies or I took a course in Renaissance studies and I made a digital exhibit based on one of one of these one of these books. I believe it was Printed. It was printed in the 1600s, I believe, and it was um, it was a it, it was an edition of Martin Luther's Epistle on the Galatians. So uh, not Martin Luther King, uh, Martin Luther, the guy who nailed 99 theses to the church wall and effectively started um, the the Protestant Church. Which is what we are. We're pro we're we're, we're non-Catholic, so we're Protestant. Um, so that was actually really cool. Learned a lot about how, you know, the Reformation happened. The Reformation is when the the Protestant the Protestant Church started. Yeah, I had to learn all about that in history class. Mm -hmm. It's very interesting. Okay, but with uh, archival stuff, this just came to mind. Um, are there like a lot of like, I don't know if the word is technical, but like technical things and handling them, right? Because they're really old books. Do you have to learn that stuff too? Uh, yeah, for sure. Um, a lot of these are old books. And I think depending on, a lot of times it does depend on the, the state of each um, book. Uh, so I think that's actually where a lot of digital digital humanities comes in as well because right now we have the technology capable of digitizing these books and putting them online um, so on the one hand that's great like you know it means that people can access them from wherever and whenever they don't need to come into the library and we also protect these books as well right because they don't need to be taken out as much to be studied um, on the other hand you know images on a screen aren't really the same as interacting with a real physical book um, so I think there is something lost there if those books are never really taken out and interacted with anymore. Yeah, like definitely with old archives, there's a lot of studies on like materiality. Um, one thing that uh, I always thought was really cool is that um, from sort of like studying the paper, you kind of like tell kind of weird cultural things. Um, so for example, um, like paper used to be sold by weight. So um, sometimes like low quality paper, since it was sold by weight, like printers would kind of put weird things in it. Um, mm -hmm. And so, you know, because they, they, they wanted to make money. And so you could kind of like tell different things. And that's why like um, different printers would also kind of have like watermarks, right? So you could tell where the paper came from. Mm interesting history fact yeah I think 
overall, knowing Elam, I think archival studies really fits her because, well, she has grandma hobbies, so grandma <laughs> books, <laughs> they fit her, but also, yeah. Thank you, thank you. I appreciate that. But also, I remember there was this one time, I'm just exposing you right now, but I remember there was this one time <laughs> that we went to, like, a store and you dropped the hourglass there and you had to pay for it. So I hope these old books will be okay in your hands. <laughs> okay, thank you for that. You're welcome. <laughs> so the past year has been online for everyone, but you finally get to move to BC. So how are you preparing for that? I guess finding housing and everything, but also just the big transition of technically moving like halfway across the country. Hmm. I do think it's exciting. Um, I've never lived outside of Toronto before, so it'll definitely be a very new experience. Yeah, I think uh, for me, it's it's taken a lot of prayer. I think it's it is a bit of a very stressful process because everything seems rushed, and every everyone is also trying to find housing and all these different things at the same time. Um, so I guess there is that, but I think um, it is a really big blessing. Um, to have this opportunity so um, just gotta remember to keep trusting in God Um, I think one thing that I am excited about is to also um, see how different fellowships are and hopefully can learn some new things to bring back to to Genesis and to grace for sure there's a lot to expect so I mean since you had your undergrad at the University of Toronto so You've been living at home, basically, but also for, you know, the first seven months of your master's degree. Yeah, what were the pros and cons of, you know, just living at home? And yeah, how do you think that will differ from attending school far from home? Uh, well, I definitely think that the pros are you do save a lot of money living at home. Um, and I think it is very comfortable for me living at home. Um, I think I'm very blessed to have... Um, just a family that I get along pretty well with. Um, usually we communicate pretty well and I think that, um, yeah, just that, you know, my parents, my grandma, even my brothers, mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> you know, they're always, always great. And I think, um, I do have a lot of fun being with my family. Um, you know, you don't have to cook as much. You don't have to take care of as many things with with your family there usually um so I do think that was very good and I think that did alleviate a lot of stress for me during my undergrad years um I do think that one thing is that uh, one thing that I think is really good about sort of going out of town for university and living on your own um I do think that it does give you an opportunity to explore your faith more for yourself um, and um, I do think that it is a good way to sort of see how God is working in your life. Um, and yeah, to sort of find your own identity in Christ in that in that way. So I think that I am excited to sort of just see where God leads me um, and what happens then. I agree. I think... As well, I'm going to be moving out of Toronto. Staying away may affect my faith, at least um, being exposed to many different perspectives.
can you tell us a little bit about your testimony, how God has stayed constant in your life from the time you became a Christian until, I guess, present day? Mm-hmm, for sure. Um, I do think that the more that I look back on my own life, the more that I can really see how God fits things together um, for my good and for in just his, his good plan. Um, so I think like, yeah, I think that is one way where I can continue to trust in God, even when I'm unsure of what's going to happen in the future, because when I look back on the past, I can really see the ways in which um, he's come through for me, even when I wasn't sure of myself or I wasn't sure of where God was leading me. Um, so I think uh, one thing was that I remember very clearly that before I um, had a personal relationship with Christ, um, I always felt very purposeless. Uh, I kind of always felt like I was just living day to day. Um, and, um, and I think that's very different now that I think that even when life doesn't go according to plan. So, you know, for example, like, you know, when COVID started, um, I expected it to last like three weeks. Mm -hmm. Uh, I remember I was so happy when U of T announced that they were going to close in March. I was like, oh, thank goodness. I don't have to take the TDC down, um, in like all this rainy weather in March. Um, I can just stay home and work on all my overdue assignments. And, and then, so, and then afterwards I was, I remember being very disappointed that just that, you know, life wasn't going the way that I envisioned it for myself. Um, but I think, you know, God is always still good and um, I can always kind of see how even when disappointing things, things happen, he can still work. So for example, like um, I was disappointed when I wasn't able to go to Vancouver for BC, but I think, you know, having this year on in Toronto and still being able to stay on Genesis um, for this extra year when I originally thought that I was going to leave Genesis and go to Vancouver instead. I think it's been a huge blessing um, having having to meet the being able to meet the grade sevens, uh, being able to meet with um, a discipleship group um, with some of the grade nines. I think that's been a huge blessing as well. Um, being able to continue to meet with Lois and Dorcas throughout this whole year. Um, yeah, I think it's not something that I would trade to be in Vancouver. Um, and I think that it's been very encouraging uh, seeing how God can still um, work in my life and use me to work in the lives of people around me. Um, even if it's not the way that I planned, it's still the way that God planned it. I just realized we really came full circle because now we're in grade 12 and you're an adult leader and then yeah <laughs> since I guess serving God is in a different way experiencing him how has that helped you grow as well mm, I think it's just kind of always happening um I think uh I was reading an essay by C.S. Lewis recently um and he was just kind of like reflecting on his own life as a Christian 
Um, and one of the things that he said that really stood out to me was that, um, I'm gonna paraphrase here because obviously I don't remember the quote exactly, and I'm definitely not gonna say it as well as him. So um, uh, it, it was a collection of essays in The Weight of Glory, if any of you wanna check it out, highly recommend. Uh, so he said something along the lines of, you know, sometimes when we become Christians, like we kind of envision like this dramatic transformation. And in a way, like it can be a very dramatic transformation. Like it's, it's the same as the dead coming to life, right? So it is a dramatic transformation. But on the outside, like your, your life really generally, you, you end up doing the same things, but in a different spirit. Um, so I think, you know, that is how it is, right? Like our lives, like our, our hearts might change, um, and we might have a new life in Christ, but, you know, day to day, you still gotta eat, you still gotta talk to people, you still gotta, um, you know, work or study or whatever. And hopefully like you are doing those things with a different heart and with a different mind. Um, but I think that is how God um, works through works through us as well right like wherever you are in life as long as we do those things while focusing on God he'll always work through them so during I guess we could start with your time you know getting your undergrad at university how has your relationship with God changed I think one big way that um, my relationship with God changes the way that I approach prayer um, I think that, um, I really begin to see prayer as something that can fit into all aspects of my life. Um, and I think like the more that I know God, um, the more that I see how much more prayer can be in my life. Um, so I really do think that just throughout my day, um, there's just so many little prayers. Um, I think like, especially like prayers of Thanksgiving. Um, I think I really do give thanks more throughout the day. Um, because there really is so many things to be thankful for. Um, and I think also just praying more for other people because I recognize how little that I can do for them. Um, but, you know, because I love them um, and I know that God, God can still um, work through the lives of everyone. So I think praying more for other people as well. Yeah, that's really reassuring. I think the way you described it, it's like you're constantly conversing with God, which really shows how deep your relationship can go with him. Um, so I'm sure pursuing masters was a big decision for you. How did God help you come to that decision? I think having an undergraduate degree in English literature is, I think, generally not seen as a very practical choice, unless I guess you, well, generally people think that if you have an undergraduate degree, you want to be a teacher. And I've, um, as much as I respect and strongly admire teachers, I've never felt that um, kind of calling, I suppose. Uh, so I actually really did not know what I wanted to do uh, when I started going to university. It was more like, you know, this is something I enjoy and it's something that I'm good at. So 
let's do this for now. Um, but I think the, the, the more I got in my undergraduate degree, the more, the more I worried about the future. I'm like, what am I gonna do? Like, what kind of job do I want? Um, and so that was something that I prayed a lot about um, because I, I also, uh, I guess it sounds cliche, but I didn't wanna do a job just to do a job. I, like, I really did want something where um, God could work through me, um, that it was something that I knew God called me to do. And I was like, I don't know what I'm going to do with an, with an English degree. Um, so I think uh, one thing that happened was that um, I spent a lot of time at the library. I'm sure uh, when, if you guys go to university, you'll probably spend a lot of time at the library. Um, and like I, like I realized, like, you know, like the library is there to help people. Like, you know, you don't pay for anything at the library. Um, and I think it's also a really good way to reach a lot of people from different backgrounds um, and different groups. Um, and it's something that like, you know, I really enjoy just being at the library and being with people at the library and um, sort of just providing people with the resources that they need for whatever they want to do. Um, so yeah, so I think that is really what God kind of push me towards. Mm -hmm. I know you're going to do great things at whichever library you inhabit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you'll be a very fun local librarian, I think. Oh, thank you. Yeah. I appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, now that you are doing your master's degree, um, you already passed undergrad here um, at this second stage. Um, and if I'm correct, you have about like a year left before you complete it, right? Mm -hmm. Just about. Yeah. A year is pretty short. <laughs> so um, beyond that, do you think that God has given you any more direction for your future other than finding a job, but also just in general? How do you know, how do you know that this is God telling you? Like, this is where I want you to go. Mm, I think for me, I think the, the thing is that what I learn is that I really do not always know where God is telling me. And I think sometimes it's a mistake to be, um, to always, to assume things of God. Um, not always, obviously, because God will speak in many different ways. Um, but I think for me, uh, another thing that uh, C.S. Lewis wrote that stuck out to me is that, um, again, paraphrasing, people shouldn't be too attached to their own long-term plans. So I think uh, that's something that I tried to hold on to that, you know, I, it's natural to plan for the future. Um, so like right now, like I'm thinking, oh, like I think it would be nice to look, work in this kind of place. Um, I think it'd be cool to do this kind of thing. Um, but I think, you know, remembering that God directs me to do things that I don't always necessarily look to do for myself. Um, just remembering that, that God can change the direction of my life at any point and that he'll do it for, for the better. That just because it's not something that I expect doesn't mean that it's gonna be a bad thing. So I think just having that in my prayers. Yeah, thinking about the future is always a big thing for everyone, I think especially in stages of transition. Mm, how would you say we can balance, I guess, 
trusting God to guide you wherever, even if it's unexpected, and balancing that with planning out your future. Um, I do think it is good to have plans for your own future. Um, you know, I think it's it's pretty impossible not to be planning for the future because you know we're 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 beings who are shackled by time. Um, so we are always going to be looking towards the future. Um, but I think the key is to always be open to other possibilities. Um, so even if you're 100% sure that this is what you want to do, um, sometimes, you know, that's just not going to be how it works out. And it's going to be disappointing and it might suck a lot. Um, but I think just always being open to, to exploring different things and remembering that God truly does care about us. Like God, if God makes, or if God makes your life go in a direction where you didn't expect um, and in a direction that you didn't want, you know, it's not because he doesn't care, it's because it's something even better. Let's talk about your personality, Elim. Personality. Do you have one? Oh, wow. (laughs) You better keep that in. (laughs) Can't edit that out. Sure, I'll keep it in. All right, but yeah, for real. Um, Let's talk about your personality and um, more specifically, a certain personality test that we've all done. So yeah, the Enneagram or Enneagram, how do we say it? I don't know. I've always heard Enneagram. 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 What did you just say? I forget. Enneagram? Enneagram. Okay, let's do that. I don't know if that's the right pronunciation. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so what Enneagram type are you, Elam? So according to the test, I am a nine wing one. I don't actually know too much about Enneagram, but when I was reading the description, it kind of more or less did sound like me. So there is that. Do you, guys, do you guys want to share yours? Gotcha. Yeah, you go first. Um, when I did the test, I got Enneagram 9 as well. But to be honest, I don't identify with it. I think I'm more of a 6. Type 6. And I think, yeah, when I did it, I got 8. And I didn't look too much into the description, but... The keywords were interesting. I guess I don't know if it's me, but let's let's start with um, type nine. Let's talk about it. So, an enneagram type nine is known as the peacemaker. Are you a peacemaker, Elam? Because sometimes I feel like you start. <laughs> I start things. No. <laughs> Uh, I don't know if I would consider, if I would call myself a peacemaker. Um, I do think that um, I'm pretty conflict avoidant, so maybe maybe there is that. <laughs> I feel like that's why we both got type 9. Yeah. We avoid conflicts. Yeah, <laughs> I, think, I think Dorcas lives a very conflict-free life, and mm-hmm, for sure. I run away from conflict very quickly mm-hmm. because I'm scared. That's why I like starting conflict with you, Elam. Yeah, I'm very scared of Lois. <laughs> Lois provokes us. Mm-hmm, so fun. That's why you got eight, Lois. <laughs> oh, okay. 
Yeah. Some other qualities of the peacemaker type nine include, you know, being easygoing, self-effacing, effacing, Mm -hmm. (laughs) receptive, reassuring, agreeable, and complacent. Do you feel like those fit your personality? Uh, I think I'm at least easygoing. I don't know. I mean, I feel like I feel like for these, it's for personality tests. It's usually more objective from other people's perspective. So I don't know if you guys would agree with those descriptors. Mm-hmm. I think generally they are qualities of you, but they're not what I know you as, right? Ah, well, that's because you provoke a different side, Lois. <laughs> <laughs> What do you think, Darkest? I agree that he was reassuring and agreeable, at least to me. Maybe not Lois. <laughs> <laughs> no, definitely Elam is reassuring to me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I can agree with that quality. Yeah, Elam is best place to go for for advice. Aw, how sweet. Mm-hmm. But do I listen to it? I try. Nope, sometimes. Tr- yeah. <laughs> Actually, I want to talk about Lois and personality types. No, 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 no. Let's do it. No, let's go to type six. Let's go to Dorcas's no, type. No, <laughs> I want to do Lois. We'll, 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 we'll leave time for Lois. Okay. Okay, the loyal... I feel like that describes Dorcas very well. The loyalist. Loyalist. Um, the committed, security-oriented type. Engaging, responsible, anxious, and suspicious. suspicious. Wait, does suspicious mean I'm suspicious of people or they're suspicious of me? <laughs> <laughs> I think based on context that you're suspicious of other people, uh-huh. which I don't think is true. But I think um, I think that Dorcas is uh, takes her commitment commitment seriously. She's very she's very responsible. Mm-hmm. I don't For think sure. you're anxious though. I think you're generally pretty low key. Yeah, if you are anxious at some times, I feel like you hold it in pretty well. Mm-hmm. You don't go crazy. I would like to see Dorcas, you know, go crazy, but actually, no, that's not, that's not healthy. I shouldn't <laughs> encourage that. <laughs> oh, wait. Okay. Enneagram with a seven wing. So that's a more like specific type of wing, mm-hmm. right? The buddy. I want to call you my buddy. <laughs> Are you not my buddy? Yeah. Huh? Yeah. <laughs> oh, <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> Uh, okay, so the key exa- the key motivation of the type six is want to have security, to feel supported by others, to have certitude, I don't know what that means actually, and reassurance to test the attitudes of others toward them, to fight against anxiety and insecurity. Do you feel like that describes you? Hmm. I do value security quite a bit. Um, feeling supported by others, having reassurance. Which is why I fit well with Elam. Aww. Mm-hmm. The last two, testing attitudes of others towards them. I'm not really sure what that means, actually. I think, like, Dorcas has a very healthy personality. So I think mm-hmm. some of these descriptions, like, they include what unhealthy personality types look like. But I think Dorcas is very stable. Yeah, you're very stable. I think it helps other people be stable. When it mm-hmm. says that, type 6 is 
courageously champion themselves and others. Yeah, I think you do. I think you're really good at encouraging other people mm -hmm. and like supporting them and making them feel loved. <laughs> yeah, I think Dorcas is a very good friend to have. Let's move on to uh, type eight. Type yes. eight. The challenger. Whoa. Actually, you know, maybe. <laughs> maybe this is pretty accurate. <laughs> wow, the powerful dominating type. Self-confident, decisive, willful, and confrontational. For those of you who know Lois, I'd actually like to hear your thoughts. What do you guys what do you guys think? Do you guys think that this describes Lois well? I do think Lois is Lois is very unique, and um, I think, you know, one of the things that I really do love about Lois is that she really is 100% herself. I am. Are you not? I don't know. Are you lying to us? <laughs> no. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think it's always very fun to be around Lois. She's a very fun personality. Mm-hmm. Okay, key motivation. Wants to be self-reliant to prove their strength and resist weakness, to be important in their world, to dominate the environment, and to what? stay in control what? of the situation. Yeah, I, actually, I don't know if that describes yeah. what yeah. I mean. You do so. tend to go with the flow. Yeah, I feel like I would say like I can be a really easygoing person, very positive. I mean, okay, I think I do like staying in control of like situations. Just having everything just go smoothly that makes things easier for everyone so mm -hmm. i think that's i think that's a reason why sometimes i like to take charge but it says it says that type eights can also be egocentric and domineering <laughs> <laughs> i think that's your fake personality sometimes, okay. sometimes you have like a fake personality yeah to just mess with people yeah yeah <laughs> but you thought you thought a different one was closer to how you actually see yourself right I have no idea. I didn't look at the other ones. Okay, never mind then. <laughs> okay. Yeah, it's very interesting. Let's look at examples of type nines in the real world. Queen Elizabeth II. Wow. Abraham Lincoln. For, oh. okay, this is for type nine, by the way. We went back to type nine. But Elam, she has the same personality as us. Let's see. Who's as Marge Simpson. Marge <laughs> Simpson. Oh. Is there any really bad people here? <laughs> Would they put this on the site? I mean, like, they're yeah, trying to promote this, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah, the same personality as Audrey Hepburn. That's pretty nice. I like her. She's pretty cool. Mm -hmm. So for type 6, some celebrities are well-known people that are also type 6, like Dorcas. Oh, Lord of the Rings Frodo Baggins. Whoa. Frodo? Frodo. 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 Oh no. Oh no. Can Lois be your. Oh no, she doesn't fit Sam. She can be no. Pippin. <laughs> I don't know what that means. I'm gonna be offended. <laughs> I need to watch Light of the Rings. Okay? No, Pippin has a very fun personality. <laughs> Pippin. <laughs> Eminem. Whoa, you're so gangster, Dorcas. What? Yo, throw Are you throwing verse? Throw a verse out. <laughs> What's Dorcas's rapper name? No, don't, don't. <laughs> Let's not go there. Are you calling Prince Harry a gangster? Yeah. Bro. Okay, let's oh. go. Let's see. Let's take a look at type eight. Type eight. Okay, let's, let's go. Oh. Serena Williams. 
Russell Crowe. Ooh. A lot of old people actors. Well, not old people. I mean, Humphrey Bogart. Pablo Picasso. (laughs) Donald Trump! Oh (laughs) my god! Oh, yeah, yeah, maybe they do have bad people. Yeah, there's also Saddam Hussein. (laughs) I'm so concerned right now. I think it's because of like the domineering thing. Egocentric. Mm, All right, then. This is kind of bad. (laughs) Yeah, there's some concerning names here, but the rest are, they balance it out. Uh huh. Okay. Dr. Phil. (laughs) <laughs> that's actually pretty funny yeah alright mm-hmm. this is who I am <laughs> just another you know it. <laughs> yeah but yeah I mean that's pretty interesting overall so mm-hmm. if you guys haven't done the Enneagram personality test go check it out it's pretty fun To wrap things up, Elam, do you have any advice for all your listeners? Uh, specific advice. Um, if you're if you feel like your cooking is like lacking something, usually, <laughs> <laughs> uh, usually if you add a, a little lemon juice and a little lemon zest, it really brings out the flavor. Um, mm acid is very adding a little acid to your cooking is very good so this is this works for pretty much everything um you can add it a bit to your desserts um if you're just cooking in general like it's very good for whatever meat fish whatever you're cooking um i really do think that um people should have a hobby i mean i know like get a hobby sounds very (laughs) insulting (laughs) But I do think that it's very important for mental health to have um, just a salt, like a specific way to de-stress. So, you know, even when you're busy with school or whatever, um, do try to set aside some time to do something that you really enjoy, um, whatever it is. Those are the two key things that have been keeping me sane for the past bit. Elim, do you have any hobbies to recommend for Dorcas and I? What should we do? How should we spend our time wisely? <laughs> say it, say it, say it. Stop whispering it. Say it for everyone to hear. Uh, I said. <laughs> <laughs> um, honestly, like, I think, like, if there's something that, like, you feel like you might enjoy, you can just try it out and see if you like it and if you don't like it then it's not like you really lost anything so what if you lost money Elam? then you shouldn't spend that much money on something <laughs> you're not sure you're gonna like <laughs> okay then that's very good advice are there any things you guys want to pick up your hand <laughs> you didn't pick up my hand you just slapped it <laughs> I should definitely learn cooking before I mm-hmm. live by myself. I'll Remember take, to add some take lemon. in the lemon. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. The lemon advice. At that point, it's more than a hobby. It has to be a lifestyle, Dorcas. A lifestyle. 
All right. Thank you for that advice, Elam. Thank you for having me. Yeah. So thank you, everyone, for listening um, to this episode. Can I say the name? Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for (laughs) enjoying. Well, you should just say it because you're making Dorcas laugh. No, I can't say it. Thank you, everyone. No, I can't. Okay, you made yourself laugh. Let's say it together, Darkus. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> oh, that's, that's even worse. You didn't even, you didn't even start that time. <laughs> Maybe you can't look at each other. Thank you, everyone, <laughs> for listening to this episode. Elam the Cutie. Stop! <laughs> you have to re-record that. No, we're keeping that. No. Let's actually they're see. Gonna, I think it, I think it's going to ruin people's ears, though, because I yelled. <laughs> That's like if they're listening on headphones. When I scoop Donald Trump, I think that also. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I think you should. I think you should. If you're gonna keep it, you should at least edit, edit. edit the audio a little. Okay, a little quieter. Okay, so thank it. you everyone, as Dark has said, for listening to this episode. Wait, yeah. you have to change. You're actually changing the title later, right? Elam the cutie. No. <laughs> <laughs> the title may change, but at least you guys will know. What it originally was. Elam the cutie. Stop. <laughs> See you guys next month. Uh, how I raised these children. <laughs> <laughs>